Sales Paradise, Episode 2. I think the greatest thing that we should look for as sales professionals, by alternative, we should be looking to go through a phase of discovery to find out if there's a right fit. If you want to learn how to love every day of your sales career, you're in the right place. This is Sales Paradise. Now here's your host, our dad, Chandler Barron. (laughs) On today's episode, we have Phil M. Jones. Even though this guy is originally from the UK, I think that stands for University of Kentucky. His accent's much different than my Tennessee accent. Um, I, I don't know if it's because... Kentucky is really not a southern state. Um, I don't know. We'll ask him when he comes on. But Phil has made it his life's work to demystify the sales process and refine what it means to sell. And he helps his audiences to learn new skills and empower confidence, overcome fears, and instantaneously impact bottom line results. He's the author of five international best-selling books and the youngest ever winner of the coveted British Excellence in Sales and Marketing Award. Phil is currently one of the most in-demand assets to companies worldwide. Phil, welcome to Paradise. Great to be here. Thank you for inviting me on. With the youngest ever on that British Award, what what age did you get started? Yeah, no, I've been been in this world of of business and business growth since I was a 14-year-old kid. So I've... um, had probably more years and more experience at this thing than, than often is appreciated when people look at me. But um, I, I love this world so much. The world of commerce and business and entrepreneurship is is something that gets my juices really flowing. So growing up, what made you think you would even be good in sales? I, I don't think I ever looked at, looked at sales as a career for myself, so to speak. But I think what I was always puzzled by was was problems that I couldn't solve. And the first problem that I couldn't solve was that my um, my best friend was traveling to Florida about to buy um, some trainers that he wanted. And I wanted the same pair of trainers and trainers is what we call sneakers. Um, and I couldn't afford them. So I did the thing that any normal kid would do at that age. And I asked dad for the money to uh, be able to buy this pair of sneakers. And my dad said, um, said no. <laughs> So I started to work around that problem and started to think about what I could do to be able to add value to other people's lives to find ways of getting them to part with cash for me. And from 12, 13, 14 years of age, I was hustling in any way that I could to um, be able to add value to things, to be able to drive a profit. And and I kind of got the taste from it from a very early age that I liked it when people would say thank you to me and pay me for the privilege. The privilege to adding value to other people's life. I, I really like that. Well, when I was growing up, I cut grass and and washed cars and played the banjo once. But uh, what did you guys do over in the UK growing up? Well, it's different things all around the world. And I don't think it's fair to ever say what do people do in in any one country. What what I can talk about, though, is I was pretty rare at my age, at 14 years of age, to be knocking on the doors of my neighbors and asking them quite politely whether they wanted to have their cars washed. (laughs) Uh, and some said yes and some said no, but most just asked me how much money I would charge, which is clearly a buying signal of all buying signals. And I did OK with my little car cleaning business, so much so that by the age of 15, I wasn't going to school anywhere near as often as I should. And, um, you know, I was invited in by my teachers questioning my attendance and I'd respond to them with a question. The question I would respond with was, um, how much money are you making, sir? 
and my school teachers would refuse to tell me at the time. But at 15 years of age, I was earning a, the equivalent of around four thousand dollars a month from my little car cleaning business. Awesome. So, you know, there, there was real money in in ingenuity, in finding ways of being able to help other people. And I stumbled across that from a very early age, from from being tenacious, really, and thinking that if it works for one, why can't it work for more than one? Yeah, that's awesome that you stumbled upon it at such an early age. But what I've got to know now, I've got to hear about some sales call that you had that was just a disaster, something that you wanted to forget, but we're going to bring it back up. Uh, tell me about something where whether someone was rude at you or you just really forgot what you were even going to say. Just tell me about something like that. I've I've been toe to toe with somewhere in the region of three hundred thousand ind- individuals when it comes to business transactions. So it would be unfair to look upon those and say they all went great. What I would do in terms of answering in this question is to though is to let you know that sometimes you win and sometimes you learn. And one of the biggest lessons I was probably served is I run quite a large overseas investment property business that did pretty well at the time. And one of the things we were looking to do was to secure a number of rental opportunities for a number of our homeowners through a large independent travel agency group in the UK. So this would have been like a really big deal, a giant contract. And knowing how serious it was, myself and my business partner at the time decided that what we'll do is we'll take this seriously. It was about a three hour drive out to where we needed to be. It will be, you know, let's get our best suits on. Let's get our shoes polished up. Let's do the prep that we need to in the car. And they lived down on the uh, the offices of, of the company we we're going to see was down in the south coast of um, the UK, a place called Cornwall. And we arrived for the meeting to be greeted by the CEO and the finance director of this large travel group who was wearing board shorts and flip-flops. So instantaneously what happened from that appointment is is there just wasn't the right fit. You know, the culture and the values of the company we were looking to be able to do business with didn't necessarily marry with the impression or the projection that we were giving out about ourselves. So I think the lesson that that, that, that taught me more than anything else, because we weren't able to overcome it, we walked away and we, we didn't win that contract. Um, was the importance of preparation, but the importance of correct preparation ahead of time for a sales consultation is to say that what we should be looking to do is to get to understand the people that we're looking to be able to go and transact with, not the product that they might want to buy or even the problem they might want to solve. Yes, we want to understand their problems, but we also need to understand who they are, what makes them tick and what every consumer is always looking for is an understanding of show me that you know me. Well, it kind of highlights the point you made earlier about sometimes you win sometimes you learn, which I really like. Um, it's almost like the sales call was not even a loss. It was a matter of you learn to redefine your technique. Yeah. And, and I think there's often this association towards the world of selling that is like, I either closed him or I didn't, or, oh man, I just lost that sale. And I think the greatest thing that we should look for as sales professionals by alternative is we should be looking to go through a phase of discovery to find out if there's a right fit. And we want to do business with people that want to do business with us. It isn't about manipulating or embellishing a product or service or steering somebody into something that isn't right for them. It's about finding a genuine relationship or a genuine fit where there is a win-win for all parties involved. You know, I just realized that I didn't mention anything in the intro about your two books. We have exactly what to say and exactly how to sell. You know, I have to admit also that while listening to the audio version of Exactly What to Say, 
I was probably about midway through before I realized it was not a book about how to speak with a British accent. <laughs> <laughs> I was really hoping to turn that on whenever I wanted to, just at will. But why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about your book, exactly what to say. The book in question is probably one of the proudest pieces of work that I've ever created. It's about condensing down some of the most complex thoughts and psychologies and procedures that exist in the decision-making process and putting it into a tiny compact piece of work that other people can go on and get it. One of the things that I've learned through literally thousands of investigations, discussions and experiences and negotiations of of seeing businesses perform well and studying salespeople within those businesses is one of the things that I have learned is quite often the difference between one person and another person isn't necessarily their skill, their hard work, their endeavor, their product knowledge, their aptitude. It's also knowing how to have the right words at the right time to drive the right results. In fact, sometimes knowing exactly what to say, when to say, and how to make it count can be all the difference between you winning and you losing. And what exactly what to say is, is a book full of what I call my magic words. And what magic words are, are words that talk straight to your subconscious brain. Subconscious brain is powerful in the decision-making process is because it only has a yes and a no. There is no maybe there. It can be used to guide people to respond naturally, effortlessly and honestly, but on impulse without having to give it too much thought following a pre-programmed existing track. And that's what this book is, is really designed to do is to, is to empower through other people's existing patterns the ability to have more effective, proactive, purpose-led, action-bound conversations with others to drive more results. And it's not doing this through manipulation, but it's actually getting people into the frame of mind to be able to realize what problems you can solve. And I know they're not really magic words, but I do wish I had this book way before I asked my wife to marry me. I think that she probably would have said yes a lot sooner. <laughs> and you know, this book isn't just for people that have a sales career. Um, I think it's really valuable for a lot of different situations. Well, well, the information in the book is, is designed to help people who are in, um, in roles where they're looking to be able to lead, inspire, or influence other people to take action. Now, sometimes that action is to say yes to a sales transaction. Sometimes that action is to get somebody to do something in a leadership role. Sometimes that action could be just to make something happen within a relationship basis. So the words work as long as people are present. And they're all about conversation. I'm a big believer right now that, that conversation is an art that unfortunately isn't taught or isn't practiced anywhere near as often as it should be. Yet a conversation is the thing that typically fuels or drives some of the biggest outcomes on our entire planet. So teaching people to have more effective conversations and then go on to make more of those conversations count is where the bulk of my work tends to sit. And sometimes that get dressed up in the area of sales. But that's often where people are looking to have more effective communications, not because that's the only area they can be used. Sure, that makes sense. Sales seems to be a relevant and obvious audience. But in general, when it comes to your audience, what are some things that come up often that making a minor alteration or change made that big difference in how they interacted with people? I, I think there are a few things to consider. And, and one of the big principles that exists through a lot of my work is, is to know the power of, uh, of questions. See, the person who's in control of every conversation is the one who's asking the questions, right? That makes sense. So what we're looking to be able to do is, is to guide people through conversations, guide people through the decision-making process using some carefully crafted questions. 
what questions do is they start conversations. What conversations do is that they build relationships. What relationships then go on to is they create opportunities and opportunities lead to sales. So this whole thing starts with the ability to be able to ask great questions. If we to lift some examples from the book right now is one of the biggest things that people are fearful of is they're fearful of rejection when it comes to being able to invite other people to do stuff. If you do not ask, we know that you do not get, right? Yeah, someone other than me taught my kids that lesson. Right, they, they know you have to ask for things. But the trouble is, is many adults have taught their kids that it's rude to ask. They've taught their kids that I want doesn't get. So we have a conflict that we know that we have to ask for the things that we want in life. But we also know that asking comes with these rules and the stigma attached to it. That only if it's at the right time and only if it's done with the right permission towards the right person in the right moment. So the average human ends up getting confused and then ends up being fearful of asking for something for a few reasons. One is they don't want to appear rude. And two is they're fearful of rejection. So one of the things that I thought I would do and we kick off exactly what to say with this very process is to provide people with a rejection free opening formula, a way that they could introduce an idea to just about anybody at just about any period of time where rejection wasn't an option and it acted with grace and permission. See, if what I would do is I had an idea that I wanted somebody to consider instead of asking them to consider that idea, I could preface that idea with the words, I'm not sure if it's for you. See, if I said to somebody the words, I'm not sure if it's for you, the receiving end of that is what little voice does a few different things. The little voice inside your head says, firstly, I'll be the judge of that. And then secondly, what it says is, what is it? It fuels uh, curiosity. It makes you lean in. It makes you want to understand more of what it's about. So, Chandler, if I was saying to you today, I'm not sure if it's for you, you cannot help but want to know more about that thing. That's just basic human psychology. Well, in the book, I'm looking through and there's 25 specific word choices uh, that are mentioned. Tell me about that. Throughout the book, we have 25 specific word choices that can be leaned upon for different scenarios with most of those word choices have three, four, five different examples of seeing how they work in practice that people can jump towards and find a way of making them fit for themselves. Yes, the book is called Exactly What to Say. But what the important thing in that is not that you should say exactly what I tell you to say. But what you should be thinking is, well, the worst time to think about the thing you're going to say is in the moment that you're saying it. And that quite often you find yourself in repetitive conversations where you're saying the same thing and the same thing and the same thing because the moment is somewhere near the same. Yet in each of those moments, what most people tend to do is they find themselves lost for words or they make it up as they go along or they're saying something that isn't constructive towards the outcome they were hoping to achieve. There's wisdom here for a lot of different circumstances, it appears. That was the goal. That was the goal. And the other goal with the book is I wanted something people could read cover to cover in an hour. That was my goal is can you get through this in 60 minutes time? Can you get through it in a train ride? I think far too many books nowadays are written with the author's ego in mind. What I was looking to do was to produce a piece of literature that would do nothing more than empower the reader to go out and take action and make something work for themselves. Yep, without action, then it's pretty much all in vain. Oh, we have now the last call. Lightning round questions coming up. Phil, ready or not, here the questions come. What does a typical morning look like for you? In my line of work, as often as I travel and the variety of different environments that I find myself in, the only thing that I have in my morning routine is coffee. Do you drink a particular type of coffee? Uh, Yeah, hot coffee. Hot coffee without milk. Um, I, I, I've lost the right to be picky as, as often as I travel and as uh, 
variety of different environments I find myself in, it would be unfair of me to try and get a routine. But one thing that I do always look to try and do is to get some form of energetic workout in on a daily basis that raises my blood pressure up a little, uh, gets my heart rate going and does something to be kind to my body. Next, we want to hear one of your favorite quotes. I got loads of quotes that I like, but why don't I give something that I think is, is something that I share with a lot of my audiences that um, they seem to take a lot of value from. And it's, it's a Phil Jones dictionary definition of what selling really is. What selling is, is earning the right to make a recommendation. So selling isn't embellishing a product or a service with features and benefits so somebody gets it. What selling is, is earning the right to make a recommendation and putting yourself in the position that you can say things like it's because of the fact that you said X, Y, and Z. For those reasons, what we recommend is A, B, and C. I like it. Now, tell us about any type of favorite technology or a favorite app. Yeah, there's an app that I've been loving right now. It's a really awesome app. It's something that's super powerful. And I think most people have it on their phone and find it remarkably underutilized. On, a, on an iPhone, it typically sits in the lower menu and it's in a green rounded squared box and it has a telephone receiver on it. And what you can do is like you can you can use it to be able to reach other people in other parts of the world and, and have a conversation with them there and then. And you can agree actions and you can make stuff happen with it. And it's like real time. There's no delay on it, really, or no lag. It's, it's called the phone app. So um, that would be the one. <laughs> I'm actually not familiar with it. Is that something you can download from the app store? Uh, like everybody seems to have it as standard, but I think people are, are forgetting it exists. But that, that would be my favorite app that drives the most results for me. <laughs> I actually think my mom may be behind you mentioning this. But either way, Phil, we are starting to come up on the end of the show. And before we leave, what would be a sentence takeaway message for the sales reps listening? A sentence takeaway. Um, remember a really important piece is that if somebody else can do it, can somebody else be me? I mean, that's been a lifelong philosophy that I've lived by. And I think more and more people can reach a touch higher if they have that curiosity in their mindset that says, if somebody else can do it, can somebody else be me? And they use that towards their own positive self-talk. Nice. Well, where's that from? It's uh, something that I discovered when I was a, a, um, a little bit of a tough time in my life. And I went on to write a, write a poem. And um, that was a line that came to me in a poem that I write that wrote that, that inspired me during quite a tough time. Well, what an excellent sentence. You had to have had that one ready. That was too good. Uh, no, no, no. It's, it's something I've shared with a few others in the past, but it's, um, yeah, there's lots of things. I mean, I, I mean, the advice business, right? You ask for one thing. I, uh, it's a process of, of elimination of, of which one do I feel might be most relevant. Well, Phil, what is the best way for the sales reps in our audience to reach out to you? Best way somebody can find me is via the website, which is philmjones.com. From there, they can find LinkedIn, Twitter, YouTube, uh, Facebook, etc. And if there's anything we've shared today that they think is useful to them, then, then then stop by, say hi. And I'd love it if you plug into the books, put some of the ideas into practice. There's exactly what to say, exactly how to sell. And this fall, we have exactly where to start, which is a, a brand new release that we have coming out in October. So thank you, thank you, thank you for having me on the show. Well, Phil, thank you for joining us here in Sales Paradise. Cheers. Take care, man. Bye-bye.